people, products and markets. I really believe that these are the three components that eventually make or break your startup success. And while most founders have sleepless nights thinking about their products and their markets, what they often tend to forget is the fact that a product can never be built and its fit with the market also will never be found if you don't have an amazing team to do this with together. My name is Charlotte. I am co-founder and CEO of Equalture, which is a team composition technology that helps tech scale-ups from all over the world in uh, building the team they need to be able to scale. And in this podcast, I chat with scale-up founders and CEOs from all over the world who've already discovered the incredible value and an incredible impact that their team has on their business. We talk about their way, their, their journey of building a team, their milestones, their failures, their lessons learned, um, all to help remind all founders out there of the incredible importance of their team. And hopefully to help you build your winning team to scale. So my guest for today's episode is Charles Armitage. And Charles is the founder and CEO of Florence, which is a London-based skill. And they have built a platform on which you can book nurses and carers. And as you can imagine with this concept, uh, COVID has quite an impact on Florence. Uh, both very positively, but also, of course, negatively. And what is so interesting about my chat with Charles today is um, we discuss uh, the power of communicating effectively to your team. And I think communication is very important in a time that you're growing rapidly, but even more important during times in which there is a lot of uncertainty. Uh, and I think every founder and every CEO has learned over the last six to nine months that communication is everything and i think charles did an amazing job in honest but effective communication that keeps his team motivated in these uncertain times so i hope you enjoy it and i hope you get some valuable insights out of it on how to communicate to your team so uh, welcome charles in my podcast today it's great to have you welcome charlotte good to be here thank you for having me one question I always ask to uh, to my guests uh, before we actually kick off with the topic is, um, why did you say yes to this podcast? Why did I say yes to this podcast? That's a very good question, actually, Charlotte. I think uh, uh, your your colleague Fleur caught me at a good time, uh, and um, also, I, you know, I was I was I was interested in what you guys talk about because um, uh, you're very into. You, share a lot of the things that I'm into uh, around building a high-performing team, great culture, um, uh, and some of the questions around that. So it was something that, something that interested me, and I thought there was some interesting stuff we could talk about. Cool. Hey, the company Florence that you founded a few years ago, um, can you give a quick introduction of what you are doing with the company and also your background? Because I saw that you were a mm -hmm. doctor before mm -hmm. you started this company, so I'm very curious about the journey how did you how did you actually come up with the concept and and um what's it like for you to be an entrepreneur now instead of a doctor sure okay cool so what is florence so um florence is a technology company and we provide uh, and build staffing solutions for uh healthcare um and yes my background was uh, i was a doctor and uh worked in the uk in the nhs for for a few years and i was kind of becoming on my you know training route to being a surgeon um and that was super cool and enjoyable but one of the challenges that you, you know we faced every day uh it, 
basically across the UK and specifically in some of the hospitals I worked at was around staffing and there just weren't enough healthcare staff. And what ended up happening was you have this huge reliance on temporary agency staff. So people coming in just for the shift here and there. Mm-hmm. And um, pretty, they're a pretty essential part of the workforce, but they've got a bad reputation in the UK. And a lot of that is about the the way that system is created and managed and you have in the middle of between the worker the nurse or doctor and the hospital or care home you have these recruitment agencies who are incredibly expensive um very inefficient uh, very poor user experience and and ultimately what ends up happening is you get workers coming onto a shift not really knowing what to do and probably having a really bad experience so um started playing around with the idea with my co-founder, Dan, of how we could use and leverage technology to improve that relationship. And um, uh, rather than having a recruitment agent on the phone, using an app or a platform to bring together, to start with nurses and care homes to enable them to work better together. Yeah. You can use loads of good stuff around, you know, automation and, uh, and, data analytics and like good user experience to make sure you're getting exactly the right worker in the right place, the right time, um, and uh, that everyone has a better experience in the process. Um, So we started that in uh, 2017, we did our first shift. Again, what we have is we were matching nurses to um, care homes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then over the past three and a half years, we've kind of scaled that across the UK uh, into a few different worker types as well. Um, and now we're kind of moving slightly more into how we can um, uh, continue to add value into that into that relationship through things like learning and development and uh, mm-hmm. efficiencies and staff management. Really cool. I haven't heard of it in the Netherlands of a comparable. Maybe maybe it exists, but for me, it sounds like a complete new idea. Hey, how do you, how do you? Um, uh, because that's a question that I always get when I'm getting interviewed for this company. How did you experience being a founder of a tech company in the beginning uh, with a non-tech background? Uh, <clears throat> well, I just had literally had no idea. I still have no idea. What <laughs> still still make most of it up but no de- like definitely had no idea and I, I remember our first um you know you make every mistake in the book right so i remember our first uh our mvp we wanted you know we had this list of features that we wanted it was basically features that have now taken us probably four years to kind of build fully and we had about you know not very much money and we ordered it done in a few weeks so we we you know, went on the internet, went on Upwork or something like that and found someone who was willing to build this for like not very much money, all these different things, super complicated products. And then obviously it was complete crap, didn't work at all. So, uh, so I remember it being a very stressful period of um, trying to make this like super complex MVP do something in any way useful, having thrown loads and loads of money at it. Um, and it, we ended up having to just throw it out, actually. So first lesson was, uh, you know, uh, learn the hard way. But then we just ended up rolling back to a Google Sheet, actually. And then our kind of first effective user MVP was just a Google Sheet that we used, which was great. But so lesson number one is, um, uh, uh, you know, keep it keep it simple. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I think we have experienced the exact same pitfall. When, when Fleur and I started this company, we had zero experience with tech. And we hired a freelance team to build the first version of the platform. And uh, we basically threw it away after a year. Mm. So it was a, it was a very expensive lesson. But it, I think mm. that's, that's what happens if you, uh, if you don't have a tech background. 
but I think it's uh, you know it's it's interesting. Well, probably will come will we'll come back to this later in, in in the podcast. But you know, at the beginning when it was me and Dan just kind of floating around trying to make all these mistakes. Obviously, we were learning loads, but the point where you know the importance of the team you bring in was super important. So we were very lucky that our first kind of two three hires were like world class people who who really helped us push it forward. So they they were really the people that kind of got it off the ground. Yeah. Hey, and and you've you've experienced quite a journey in terms of hiring because I saw on LinkedIn that you're with around sixty people now. Yeah, maybe maybe, the... maybe maybe even more actually, probably around yeah seven seventy or or above even. How, yeah. how has that process been for you in in starting just with the two of you uh, working with a Google Sheet as your MVP and now you're managing a company of sixty plus people? Mm. How's that been? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been it's been enjoyable. It's been good. Again, learned lot, learned, learned lots on the way. I think um, uh, it you know it changes loads at different stages, and um, certainly the size we're at at the moment uh, brings with it new challenges that we definitely didn't have when it was sort of like twenty thirty people. Yeah. Uh, uh, and as you kind of yeah bring in new you know, new structures and new kind of like management architectures and things like that becomes definitely becomes complex. I think that, you know, the key, the key, key lesson all the way through has been uh, certainly now more than ever really is this communication piece um, Mm -hmm. uh, around building that team. That really is, I think the key thing. Did you, uh, did you also experience, you always hear that that founders have these, let's say two or three shifting moments in their team. So when you cross the, the, uh, um, the level of 10 employees, then mm. all of a sudden things change. You need to have operations. Mm. People won't won't be aware of everything unless you tell totally. them. And then you have the 25, 30 people, then you have to shift again. And I think you are about to reach the third one now, where mm. you indeed need to think about restructuring your team. Uh, uh, are the, the job profiles still correct for what we're actually doing? Do you experience those flipping points as well? hundred percent. Yeah. So at the beginning when it's, as you say, when it's 10 people, now, you know, you're all sitting around a table together. Mm-hmm. Um, communication just happens by osmosis, right? People know what's going on because you're probably all just in one Slack group, to be honest. Um, and then as you grow, now we're at a stage, right, where you have, you know, the leadership team, you have managers probably below them as well. Mm-hmm. And then individuals and, and, um, yeah, absolutely. It's you, you just have to become like super process driven. Yeah. Which isn't my natural skill set as well. Um uh is making sure that there's really good process around like your your people ops as it were. So mm-hmm. as you say, making sure that, you know, everyone's job description is good, making sure you've got development frameworks. That's a key thing for us at the moment, is um making sure you've got a really rigorous structure around what each different role means and what kind of skills and competencies you have to be doing to fulfill yep. that role and then as i say the key thing there is communication because you get to a point suddenly where communication definitely doesn't happen by osmosis and actually if you don't really actively push and positively communicate the whole time over communicate mm-hmm. um, it leads to a lot of um tension and challenges right especially yeah. when you know everyone's not in the office the whole time and you know, people are working remotely and stuff. Yeah, COVID, of course, adds uh, another layer of difficulty to uh, mm. to the whole process of communicating effectively. If you 
what's the what's the the main thing if it comes to to your team and and keeping people motivated and, mm. and uh, let's call it indeed people ops what's the 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 first thing that keeps you awake at night now that you uh, uh didn't even think of when your company was around 30 maybe 40 people i think um it, it it just becomes different. So when you're when you're maybe let's go back a bit from thirty to forty people. When you're ten people, it's like, you know, you wouldn't even think of someone like leaving the mission to go somewhere else because everyone's so like tight and plugged in and close and like eating mm -hmm. dinner together every day and all that kind of stuff. And then the reality is, is you kind of start scaling up 60, 70, 80 people. Um, it becomes kind of unavoidably more like a just a normal job to people to, to some people anyway well and that's absolutely fine right like people not 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 everyone in the company has to be like waking up like praying to the god of florence every morning and like <laughs> super plugged into that mission like pe people can have lives and normal jobs so um something that we've definitely been thinking about seeing recently is um you know people uh we've started to have some some people leaving you know they've been there for three years now you know that's mm -hmm. a decent time to be in a job um yeah. the company has seen some success over that period maybe they've like gone up a few like done a few taken on more responsibility over those three years they actually become quite a good target as well so um you know we have been recently finding that that some people are you know, going on to bigger and better things, and actually, good luck to them. Right? So, if 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 people can have joined us and given their all for three years, and they leave in a better position than when they came, and they go on to a, you know better things, then that that's fantastic. Um, yeah. But it does mean that we have to make sure we we actually need to be competing for that talent internally as well. So, how can we make sure that we are developing people in the right way? We are making sure they're appropriately rewarded and remunerated, so that they're not tempted to go and look somewhere else where they might be getting a much better offer. Yeah. Is there, do you do you have a lot in place for things like uh, uh, learning and development that people can keep keep learning stuff? Because I can imagine COVID. It's not a nice topic, but we uh, eventually we need to touch it. Also in this episode, it must have had an impact on your company. Things like learning and development budgets mm. are often, unfortunately, the first things that go. Unfortunately, they are the first thing to go. Yeah, because it's really and um, they unfortunately they did go which I'm not sure if I'm was necessarily the best decision, but it's really, really challenging when you're having to talk about like making redundancies or laying people off and to look at the P&L and be like, well, actually, you know, we could either keep this person's job or we keep the learning and development budget. So it's really, really hard to do. But actually, I've, I, learning for me is cutting that learning and development budget in the crisis um, had quite a significant impact on morale, and I wouldn't necessarily do it again. We, can you can you describe the impact? What happened when you told that to your team? It wasn't so much about people's ability to learn and develop because it's, you know we we kind of we said like oh we're going to reduce the budget, but you know there's still loads of these resources out there you can do. We you know we can muddle through by doing our own lunch and learns and having more community learning and all that kind of stuff. But the problem was, I think, is it sent a message that wasn't intentional that we didn't think learning and development was an important part of the organization, which is not true. Um, but by cutting the budget, that was how it was kind of perceived and seen across the company. So yeah. for that reason alone, not that it necessarily had a tangible impact on people's ability to learn and develop, develop 
but just the message of whether it was an important thing to be spending money on um, caused, I think, a bit of a... We'll have to recover from that one. Yeah, 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 I can imagine. Was it... Um, um, how do you experience it? Because you've, you started a company in 2017, of course, you haven't mm. faced a financial crisis with your mm. company. Uh, COVID is a, a time in which things are getting harder. You need to... Uh, uh, you need to be realistic about what's happening in the company. You need to be realistic to your team. If you don't want them to be afraid of losing their job instantly when you do, how was that for you personally, that that process of informing and motivating your people at the same time while it's actually super hard for you as well? It was really, really difficult because you caught, you tread this, this uh, constant line between being open and honest which everyone wants people don't want to feel like they're not being told the truth but mm -hmm. at the same time you know that the organization doesn't function well that people are worried the whole time about jobs and things like that so there's this constant battle between transparency and um creating psychological safety and uh, giving people the headspace to carry on with, you know, doing what they're doing because there's no use if people are kind of running around worrying about what's happening to the company. And the other thing is, you know, there is there is an expectation as the right or wrongly as as like the boss to know the answer and to know what's <laughs> going to happen. And you know, this recent the last sort of six months, like no one has known, right? So like week by week month by month you're kind of trying to predict the future like what will happen when will the situation turn around when will things improve but it's finger in the air and my guess is as good as anyone else's really so <clears> have <throat> we kind of have we kind of treaded that i think well the first point one of the first things we've been as honest as possible about is that we don't know the answer and the mm -hmm. only thing we can do is uh do all we can to protect our protect our cash flow protect our cash Yep. Uh, make smaller challenging decisions earlier to avoid having to make big painful decisions later. So, for example, cutting the learning and development, but it's not a good example because I said I regret doing that, but cutting <laughs> the learning and development budget like very early on helped us prevent like job losses down the line. And there were loads of examples yep. of that, like, oh, we're going to cut the budget for like, entertainment okay great fine everyone's at home anyway it doesn't really matter yeah um uh but i i'm also don't necessarily have the answer for how well you how you tread that that fine line between being honest and also uh creating a site like that psychological safety and also letting people know that like that that, that shit is real right that it's not like sometimes things aren't all rosy yeah. So I don't, I don't have the answer to that. Yeah. And then, sorry, and then one last thing as well. It's not just that communication to the team and the employees. It's also you've got these other stakeholders in the process as well. You know, clients, customers, yeah. like massive communication challenges there. Shareholders, um, probably the least important, I think, of the, those those cohorts, but still requires a certain degree of, like, massage communication to make sure things are, like, all on message. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mm. hey, and, and uh, you added another layer of difficulty to that because you've also been working on restructuring team, you told me. So uh, you shifted the focus a bit from sales and ops to a bit more tech focused. In well, well, yeah, I mean, I think it was, 
it's been it's been an interesting time because we've seen the fortunes of the business go through a few different kind of phases over the past few months. Mm-hmm. But one thing that we know is a theme that keeps coming up is, mm-hmm. uh, and this is across industries, is that actually, um, it, you know, te- it is tech technology that is the kind of going to be the winner out of all of this. Yeah. Um, and actually, if there's a, if there's a time to invest in building a product or you know developing new product lines or, or you know iterating, improving on what it is you currently offer, now is probably that time. Especially because it's challenging to sell to sell through a crisis like this, right? So um, uh, it's not now is not the time to be putting all of your efforts and budget into like selling your old product. It's about using kind of using using this sort of like space. Mm-hmm. Um, to research and develop and like think get some new stuff out there. So that's also been challenging as well because on one side we've had a message where we've been saving money and, and unfortunately we've you know had to furlough some people and that was really challenging. But at the same time we've been doing that, we've done we've been increasing headcount in some other departments, so in in, in tech and marketing, and um, that's a, that's a challenging uh, narrative to have to run across the business to, to explain yeah. why those kind of things are happening. Um, yeah, because I, I, I fully agree with you. I think this is the time to, um, uh, maybe the best time to focus on product development uh, since you just don't have the luxury uh, of signing a lot of clients every month. That's just reality, reality now. But I can imagine that it's pretty challenging to communicate that to your uh, you mm-hmm. to your operation and commercial team without causing some sort of an anxiety like oh maybe my job's getting lost and and my spot is being given to to a tech person in the company mm. how did you how did you try to communicate this because you uh, it seems like in in the last couple of months you've had a lot of those exercises how to communicate things to uh, to my team well i think the thing that we've tried to do and again definitely haven't done it perfectly can always do it better um but be as disciplined as possible around the regularity and the cadence Mm -hmm. of that communication so when people are all out of the office uh working from home lots of questions lots of stuff flying around in slack groups and things like that we made a massive point of um having regular company-wide check-ins um Mm -hmm at least twice a week, sometimes more, um, uh, where we would, uh, on one level, just share general company news, um, and then on another level have individual departments explain what they're up to. So, you know, the, the one of the product teams would, you know, explain to everyone, give someone a show and tell and say what they've been up to because, you know, you don't have those natural organic water cooler interactions anymore. Mm-hmm. But those forums are also a good space for... Um, us trying to explain what was going on, what we were thinking, kind of the direction we were going in. And one of the things that I think was also really useful was <clears throat> trying to create an environment where people could ask as many questions as they wanted. And um, so we would do a thing every Friday afternoon. Um, we would do like, do a company all hands, right, where we'd go through those things, and then we'd put, at the end of it, people would be able to submit like um, questions, anonymous or non-anonymous, and then upvote them using Slido, which is just mm-hmm. like a little uh, audience poll thing. Um, and initially, I was a bit like, "Oh, do I want 
you know, anonymous questions coming in. Like we should have an open forum and a space where people actually can feel um, uh, uh, safe enough to ask, you know, to put their hand up and ask the question. But that, that never happens, right? If it's a challenging question, it's very hard for people to put their hand up and ask it directly. So having yeah. an anonymous way of asking questions is really good at elucidating some of those kind of like deeper concerns that people had. And at times it was incredibly uncomfortable for me, right? There were sometimes I remember there were some 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 afternoons where like I was just like battered for an hour of just like really, really challenging questions that I was sort of like muddling my way through, not necessarily answering that well. But just people knowing that there's the space to, to ask those things and they will get an answer was quite useful. Yeah. Hey, maybe um um just as important as keeping your team motivated, if not more important, because we are uh, we are talking a lot about communicating in such a way to your team to keep them uh, feel safe and motivated. But how about keeping yourself motivated in these times? Because if you are not the one being overly mm. motivated, then, then your team also will never be. Totally. Well, I'm lucky in that, <clears throat> you know, really good i can't even remember what article it was but it was a good article i think like harvard business review or something around the stages of a crisis and i mm -hmm. remember back in march when things were kicking off i was probably the most energized i've ever been um in my working life ever uh you know there was loads of opportunity to make really like good fast decisions make impactful changes that like are responsive and adapted to our users needs um and it was really, really energizing. We were all working hours and hours a day. There was no more like bullshit or politics. It was everyone was like very, very focused on what we needed to do. And the speed with which we executed and did stuff was like amazing. And I just absolutely, not probably shouldn't say it, but I absolutely loved it. And I mm -hmm. think a lot of people in the company did love it. <clears throat> but you can't keep that going forever. And, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint and all that. And I, mm -hmm. after you've kind of like had that tempo of working, you know, 14, 16 hours a day, seven days a week for, you know, six weeks, um, you get exhausted. And there was definitely like a, you know, increasing energy in the company, increasing energy in the company, increasing energy. And then there was a point where I remember it, you know, people realized we were in this for the long run um, yeah. and they couldn't keep it up. And there was this big kind of dip as people hadn't taken holiday, they were tired, they realized we've got a very long road ahead of them. There was all this uncertainty, things were settling. Um, and that was challenging. You yeah. Know, two months into the two months into the COVID crisis, I remember it being psychologically quite challenging, mm -hmm. and I definitely felt that. And one of the one of the other problems is is that I think as 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 a leader, you, you're definitely a barometer for the business. So if you turn up in the morning and you're like a little bit down and head down, you know that filters down to the people you meet that day, and they kind of they put their head down. It filters it filters across the company really really quickly. Yeah. Um, and I know that I, def I definitely didn't keep my head up in the way I should have kept my head up for, for like a, a period in sort of April, May. Um, but then having, having gone through that kind of period of kind of depression, as it were, or the company realizing that it was all going to be very difficult, um, you then have to reassess and go, well, actually, we're going to be doing this for a while now. Like, we're going to be at home for a while environment is going to be challenging for a while you know we're going to be able to make these difficult decisions for a while rather than focusing on working 16 hours a day and just trying to get it out there let's go back to basics and 
make sure you're sleeping well, make sure you're exercising well, making sure you're well rested. And actually, you know, you forget, but if you do those basics right, you know, you're not drinking too much, whatever it is. If you do those basics right, you actually, um, um, things do turn around pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if I really answered your question there. I yeah, you definitely I think your question was, how do you make sure you keep your energy up? And the answer is, it's very hard, but do the basics. Uh, yeah. No, I, 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 got, I, I, got a, I got a, I got a, I got a Peloton bike. Mm -hmm. you know Peloton? Yeah. You know Peloton? Yeah. Yeah. I got one of those. So that really helped. Um, <laughs> and I'm now like an addict. <laughs> no, but it's funny because I can, um, uh, I really recognize myself in your story because we had the exact same thing. We, uh, we hired a lot of people that started on the 1st of March. And then of course the office closed halfway yeah. Uh, March and we decided to pivot our product in like three or four weeks and uh, indeed you were all you were almost not allowed to say it but for me it gave me it gave me a really high level of energy I thought it was amazing indeed like you mentioned you can mm. you can make decisions pretty quickly you can change a lot of things in a really short amount of time uh, but if you go up in that roller coaster you just take your whole team with you and then there's this point on which you need to take a break uh, mm. And then, and then your whole team, of course, reaches that level of, wow, a lot of things happened over the last few weeks. We really need to uh, to step down a little bit and 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 reassess indeed what we are doing. So, I think it's um, I think it's part of uh, I think it's just part of what happened indeed. Mm. Mm. But fortunately, things uh, things are getting better for you, right? Sure. Yeah. So we're like, um, yeah, we had a bit of a roller coaster, but we're kind of. You know, we're back to where we were in March from like a mm -hmm. business like standpoint, which is great, which means that we, you know, a lot of companies out there aren't in that position. And by the way, throughout all of this, like, you know, our users are, you know, nurses, care workers, nursing homes, they're like frontline people, right? So, you know, I complain a bit about it being challenging, but, you know, I've got a job. I'm not on the front, I'm not, you know, slaving away on the front line, putting myself at personal risk. So we've actually been pretty lucky throughout this, to be honest. Um, uh, so yeah, but anyway, so we're back to where we were in March, which is great. Um, you know, but the, 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 one of the things is we are, you know, we're, we're a venture-backed company that have got targets to hit over the next sort of 12 months, you know, mm -hmm. gearing up to a Series B. So, um, you know, it's a, effectively a flat six months is, you know we're alive but it's 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 not ideal so we've got a lot of work we need to do from now but yeah. hopefully and i do firmly believe this that you put your you, you know you put the organization under a degree of stress and it builds a lot of muscle so when growth hides a lot of sins and when the company's growing really really well um it doesn't really matter that everything's a bit of a shit show behind the scenes and like you know, the product, there are all these problems with the product or the operations that, you know, the operation team isn't efficient or, you know, you've got poor CACs or whatever. Like if you're growing well, it, you you don't really mind too much. You kind of put it in a butt drawer for another day. As soon as that growth stops, you have to be like, well, shit guys, we've got to like address these problems now because this is really holding us back. So through that period of six, that six month of like building those muscles, mm -hmm. I think we've come out the other side very, very strong and hopefully in a good position to capitalize. And is that something your team uh, is realizing themselves as well? We've come out of it strong. I think so, yeah. I think well, so. I think, I, think, I, think, I, think everyone, I think everyone will be pretty kind of 
if we look back to where we were six months ago, I think everyone would be pretty, pretty proud and shocked actually at the kind of the, 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 the steps we've made. I guess that the, the, the thing is now is if we do go back to a period of like, when we do go back to a period of like aggressive growth is not to kind of forget those, forget that technique and forget mm-hmm. the, forget the good the, the good work we've done now you kind of got to keep that discipline in place yeah it's better in the long run yeah and what would be the 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 one thing uh with regards to your team uh that you will do completely different from now on if you compare it to uh let's say uh, before covid and after covid yeah uh well i was always i was always a kind of like anti-remote working person mm-hmm. um and why is that? Why did you? Uh, why didn't you like remote working? Uh, maybe there was an element of just assuming that if people were working from home, it was just a way of like not doing any work. Mm-hmm. So there was potentially, potentially, I had a trust element there. Mm-hmm. But actually, um, and maybe it was because I like to work by being with people and talking ideas and being collaborative and things like that, but not everyone works in that way. Right. So yeah. not everyone's productivity is based on being in a group and mm-hmm. being able to share ideas. Uh, so I was pretty anti work from home. Uh, I've now obviously done a like one, one eighty degree turn on that. So, um, <laughs> you know, having seen the productivity that can be achieved from people with people working from home, uh, like I think we have like, we'll, going forward forever we'll have a much more kind of flexible policy on that my one caveat is that um your working life is not all about your productivity that's only one aspect of what you need to be to be you know successful in your role mm-hmm. and if the focus is only on oh let's all work from home because we're more productive you miss i think some of the really really important things of what it takes to build like a company and a culture and a good you know, organism that works together. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and there's no, there's, 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 there's no, no amount of kind of like Google Hangout substitution for being in an office with people, having a chat, you know, bitching and moaning together, whatever it is, going for a drink, um, putting stuff on a whiteboard. I, I still think is like an absolutely essential part of having, of being part of a business. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. I think the uh, I admire the full remote companies that have been able to build a really strong company culture because I fully agree on what you're saying. It, it, working this time has proven that working from home works for companies that it at least it can work and that you can stay mm-hmm. productive. Uh, but what I experience here is we in the Netherlands we were lucky enough to um, uh, to go partly back to the office in. I think at the end of May, the first week of June, maybe we already let people come back to the office. Of course, just a just a small group, uh, but you really saw that back in the the level of motivation that people had. Just having that chat at the coffee machine, drinking a beer on a Friday afternoon, it just it 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 worked for your company culture. So yeah, I completely totally. agree. So that's what we'll do differently, and actually, it works quite well. For, I mean, you know, if 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 actually before before this or before this COVID stuff all happened, you know, I think a lot of companies now are kind of, you know, moving to like, oh, well, let's have, a, you know, let's have a, a working policy where we do 
two to three days at home, two to three days in the office or whatever it is, kind of like a basically fully blended model. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, if people had talked about that before, before this crisis, that would have been like radical, right? Like if someone was like, yeah, you can work <laughs> three days a week in this job, everyone would be like, what the, that's crazy. So um, I think there'll be a bit of a sea change in that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Thanks, Charles. We are running out of time, uh, but I think it's an uh, uh, I think it's a really inspiring story, really honest and uh, an open story. Uh, I think you have proven the uh, importance of communicating to your team well. I think you can have uh, a lot of things in place, uh, the, the the beer pong tables, the beers on Friday, etc. I think that clear communication is the one thing that actually helps you get through this period. So. Mm. I think you did a really great job over there. And I really hope that you uh, that you keep growing the way you are doing now. Uh, but it seems like from a team perspective, uh, there's nothing that could actually stop you. Uh, well, that's kind of you to say, Charlotte. I, I think you should probably <laughs> ask the team that, see what they say. They probably would have very different things to say. <laughs> Maybe but, we can do a separate episode with some... Uh, some yeah, 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 yeah. Like behind, <laughs> behind, behind the lens uh, kind of thing. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for having me. Really, really enjoyed the conversation uh, and all the um, best of luck with everything in the future. Thanks so much. And thanks for being my guest for today. Um, for everyone who's listening to this episode, if you have any questions for me or for Charles, uh, we are both on LinkedIn, so you know where to find us. Uh, and if not, I hope to see you back on my next episode.